right. Hopefully I clicked, clicked that button on. That sounds like I did. All right. Well, I welcome you here to Good Friday, and I'm telling you, you guys are lucky. You get to hear it live. I'm announcing to you tonight that I am the next starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I will be the greatest quarterback of all time. Wow. Wow. You guys heard it first. Now, I must say, I got to see your faces, and I saw some people so excited. I know Brian back there, a Steelers fan, now has his hope after Ben Roethlisberger. Who's going to lead the team? That's me. I saw my son, though, with great doubt in his face because he knows I've never played one snap of football in my life. <laughs> Others are simply confused. What does this have to do with Good Friday? And yet others, maybe not too many here, are just angry because, wait a minute, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> Yes, there's not too many people in Philadelphia that think that, but I do recognize there's people watching all over the world because of this announcement I made. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to talk about the greatest of all time. It is a huge topic in sports these days. It's kind of fun, like the banter back and forth of just who is the greatest? Uh, you hear it a lot about in with like Tom Brady or in basketball. Is it LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? But when you kind of sit back, it's like, okay, well, how do you have this discussion? What's important to you? And for some, it's the, the, the points scored. Sometimes it's the uh, amount of championship rings that somebody has. Or it's the, you know, the, how do they play under pressure? And, um, so it, it really depends on, on what kind of you're, you're stacking it against. But it's the greatest of all time. It's certainly something that's been marketed. The GOAT. <laughs> the GOAT, I must say, it, it took me a while. I think it was about two years ago when I saw my brother-in-law have a GOAT sticker on his water bottle. And it's like, OK, I know what OBX is, Outer Banks Crossing. But goat, what, why do you have goat on your water bottle? So he easily uh, explained to me that that was what the greatest of all time was. But for me, I was kind of more used to the goat as being a bad thing in sports. You know, nobody wanted to be the goat. This was the idea of, you know, in the 1986 World Series, Bill Buckner became the biggest GOAT when he was the Red, uh, first baseman for the Red Sox. And he let the ball in the World Series game go right between his legs, a simple grounder allowing runs to score and getting the title of GOAT. But tonight we're not talking about football or sports, I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about how he is the greatest of all time. And I want to share that with you. Uh, tonight, I don't want you to miss how Jesus is the greatest of all time. I want to ex 
just to tell the world about. This is what the big news is, is going to be about tonight, is about Jesus. If you would pray with me. Lord, I thank you for getting me to this point. I thank you for preparing my thoughts, my mind, for what to share tonight. There is a lot of emotion, just like Brian prayed earlier. I have a lot of gratitude and excitement. And it turns into, I can fear, fear it, feel it in my voice. And I thank you that you are in control of all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right. So before we jump into who and, you know, the uh, Jesus, I kind of, I need to give a little bit of a backstory of him. Most of us know that he was a Jewish man. He was born into the Jewish nation, and uh, with it came all, uh, a whole history with it. You know, this was the guy that was born on Christmas, born in a, in a manger, and this history of the nation of Israel was that it was established as God's chosen people. God set them apart. And he was, uh, he wanted to have this right relationship with this uh, nation of, of Israel and being his people. He set up uh, a sacrificial system that people could, could enter into a relationship with him because God is perfect and holy and set apart, and as humans, we're not quite so. So this sacrificial system was a way that the nation of Israel could be able to enter in and have a relationship with God. And he promised them a land. He gave them a land, and in time, eventually they had kings that would rule, and you know, there were times of prosperity, and eventually, you know, and through time, pe people rebelled, and God needed to, to be able to teach the nation of Israel, and, and actually sent them away to uh, Assyria, and they left the promised land. But in time, they came back, and as, so I'm kind of working my way through what we would consider the Old Testament, and when they came back, things weren't ever really the same, the, and, and a lot of it was their the relationship with God changed. Uh, he wasn't speaking as much through prophets. It was just kind of a time of silence. And it was kind of a, a, a sad state. And eventually, Rome took over the nation of Israel. And they, they weren't even ruling themselves. But along, along the way, God had given the nation of Israel promises. They were told that a Messiah would come, and that the Messiah would be the greatest. He was going to be the one that was going to make all things right, and the nation was looking for the Messiah to come. Now, thinking about I mean, those water bottle stickers, like back to the goat, you know, the Messiah would almost have, you know, certain stickers that would go with them. You know, one, like the serpent crusher, uh, going back to one of the promises in the Garden of Eden, that one day that, 
the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. The serpent was who had lied to um, Adam and Eve, and they ate the apple and broke that connection, that relationship with God. And God promised that one day he was going to make that right by sending the Messiah. So we have the serpent crusher. Next one is just the idea of like the everlasting king and his kingdom. There was a promise, the Davidic uh, covenant, that there would be a king over Israel and that he would reign in, with peace and that it would be an everlasting kingdom. So, that, so the nation of Israel had these, these, um, these promises that they were holding on to that one day the greatest of all time was going to come. The Messiah was going to come. And in Isaiah, we see that we, we have the idea of a mighty God, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. You know, that water bottle's getting just slapped full of stickers, all pointing to this Messiah. And this is a guy who is going to be both God and man. He was going to be able to bring peace to a land that had known turmoil for so long. He was going to love you like a father, and he wasn't going to abandon you. He was going to be a wonderful counselor, a person for advice to go to. So the nation of Israel was looking for this Messiah to come. But we're going to see they kind of missed him. They missed him. And that's a point tonight. I don't want us to miss him. So, but for us here today, it's a little different. We're much further along in history, and it's like breaking news. You know, we can see in the scriptures that Jesus is a mighty God. We have the luxury of having the New Testament that goes into the richer detail about who the Messiah is. And with Jesus, there is no higher authority. With Jesus, he is everlasting. That means he was there. He already existed in the beginning. Nobody created him. He knows the future. He, there is nothing he doesn't know. He knows it all. There's no surprises to God. There's no secrets. Jesus knows it all. And Jesus also created all things. I, I love, you know, today was a beautiful day. You got to see, I know, I'm a big fan of the flowering trees, although the pollen is not always my favorite, but just the beauty of it. I love also how, you know, learning about the little things of God's creation, even like the human eye, and how complex it is. It's, it's, um, it's amazing what it can do. And it talks about, you know, has God, as Jesus being the creator, just how much design he was able to create. It is good what he has done. He also brings purpose to it. There's, there's a reason why we're here. And he also gives us these experiences and taste buds and just all these you know, beautiful things that we get to see. He has done such wonderful things to us. He is truly the greatest of all time. But 
I must say, it, it doesn't always play out like this. We don't always think about it when we experience that beauty or we you know, eat that amazing food or we realize that, man, this is what I was supposed to be here for. We don't always think about it. It's kind of like there's some bad news here. We, we find that we kind of live like we're the authority and that we're in control of everything. We live like we know it all. And in all of this, we're rejecting Jesus as the one who knows it all. And we act like we set our own purpose and that we get ungrateful for the things that he provides. We act like life is all about us. We kind of act like we're the greatest, most important of all time. It gets very egocentric. And all of this is is a rejection of who Jesus is and the authority that he has. So, breaking news is really our rejection of Jesus is sin. And it keeps us from having a proper, keeps us from being able to have a relationship with Jesus. We need a rescuer. And that is in part of where Jesus is the greatest of all time because he is that rescuer. He did, came, he did come to earth, born in a manger as a little baby, lived his 33 plus years, beginning this ministry that all leads to the cross. It was all a part of an intentional design. There was nothing that happened to him that was outside of his control or knowledge. He came for this exact reason. And it's when we look at scripture and we see when Jesus talks about, you know, the greatest, we kind of can see in one of the debates the disciples were having, where they were going back and forth and wondering who was going to be uh, the greatest in Jesus's kingdom. In Luke 22, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. We have in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we have the greatest of all time, not intending to be on center stage where all would see and glorify him. That time will come. But he came to be able to serve and to give his life. And that's where we're all, it all goes towards the cross and what he was going to do for us. Now, in sports, we kind of see that those big John 316 signs that are held up at the end of the end zone. And again, it's just that reminder that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the good news, that all it takes is believing in Jesus. It does, it's not about what actions we take or the things that we do or the things that we don't do. All it is, it comes down to is believing that Jesus is who he said he was, he accomplished his mission, and that in believing in what he did, you can have eternal life. And that's that relationship with him. And eternal life doesn't start after death. It starts now 
we can experience life and life to the full because of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah! <laughs> but if we're so excited about Jesus being the greatest of all time, it's kind of, some may ask, why do you kill him? Why do you kill the greatest of all time? Like, how could people allow it? So, to kind of like tell more of like the story of, of Good Friday, I was able to get permission from the illustrator from the Action Bible to be able to kind of help out with just kind of being able to follow along and see the pictures and it's, I really enjoy this book, this Bible. It's not, maybe not the greatest of all time, but it is, for a kid's book, maybe the greatest of all time. Um, it really paints the, the, tr the, the full history from page one to the pa last page of covering the details of the Bible. And you're going to be able to see just like the quality of the illustrations and how it re really presents the gospel. If you are not familiar with the Bible, I'd say this is a great place to start regardless of, of your age. So jumping into it. Again, why kill the greatest of all time? And it really comes down to this argument of blasphemy. Now, you might not be able to read all the text, but the, here we have Jesus before the high priests and the other priests of the day, and they are really going to just jump right into it. They've been trying to, to kind of uh, paint Jesus into a corner, and now they're just coming straight on and asking him, are you the son of God? And Jesus responds with, I am. And the big thing about that is that it isn't just an admission that, yes, I am. It's really he's using one of the names of God. So he just gave them a double whammy of an answer, of saying, I am. I am God. I am who I am, as one of his names. And at that point, the priest erupts and tears his clothes, pretty much saying, you heard it here, folks. He just spoke evil against God. Because look at this man. He is nothing great. There's nothing spectacular about him. Yes, he's performed some miracles, but we don't really understand it or appreciate it. He just called himself God. And for, uh, for, for them, they, didn't, they don't have the, the, the full picture where the, the, the New Testament helps understand that God uh, exists in a triune God. That there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all perfectly one in unity, but having three persons. So for Jesus, he was telling the truth. But for them, they couldn't understand how is God in front of them. So if somebody kind of like spoke evil against God, it points back to Leviticus, one of the books of the law that the priest would know. And it says, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him. So at that point, the nation of Jews, uh, 
uh, the Jewish nation, in order for them to have a proper relationship with God, they had to follow these rules. And going against these rules had consequences. And for this one, it was extremely severe. Not that they needed to protect the, the name of God, but to really protect themselves as a nation, that they wouldn't be turning away from God. So the priest saw this as the reason why they wanted Jesus to be killed. But with this, I don't want us to miss that what we have here is Jesus being in control. And in it, he's, he didn't say anything untruthful. He didn't commit a sin. He was simply saying the truth. But he was doing it in such a way that would lead them to want to kill him. So we see Jesus at this point being not just the goat, but the sacrificial lamb. He was giving himself up as a sacrifice to be killed on a cross for his um, for, for the punishment of our sin. Also in Leviticus 17.11, it talks about how what the blood does. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So in order to pay the penalty of sin, to be able to be in a right relationship with God, the need for blood was there. And it, here we have Jesus offering himself on the cross so that his blood would be that atonement. But at that point, the, the, the leaders of Israel knew that they needed, and they saw that they needed to kill Jesus. They, they didn't see it that, that he was God. Then the whole assembly, this is Luke 23, 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So here we have Jesus being brought to Pontius Pilate. He was a, an appointed by Rome to be a ruler in Jerusalem. He was supposed to keep control of this pretty rowdy nation that did not like to be under Roman authority. And he was supposed to, to keep control over a nation that had these really weird religious beliefs, unlike of anything in Rome. So when this almost mob came to Pilate with Jesus in custody, Pilate was like, okay, what is this all about? You know, take him yourself and judge him in your own, uh, by your own law. But the Jewish leaders responded, but we have no right to execute anyone, the objective. Again, they're under Roman control, so they can't just go and do as they please. They weren't able to kill Jesus like they wanted to. They weren't able just to go out and stone him. But we really see that Pilate sees Jesus is innocent. And here we have the, the Jewish leaders 
just screaming at Pilate, going, how in the world can you see this man as innocent? He is, um, he is, is all over Judah and, and Galilee. He is raising up um, people against, against Roman authority. He is in no way innocent. And at that point, Pilate was able to see that, oh, so there's another leader in play. His name was Herod. And that because Jesus, because Herod was appointed control over Galilee and Jesus was in Galilee, he'd be able to send Jesus along to, to Herod because Pilate really didn't want to get involved in this. Even his wife had this dream of, and, and told him, don't get involved with this Jesus fellow. But here we have Herod. Now, Herod was, like I said, appointed as ruler in in Galilee. And this, this is the same man that had put uh, John, John the Baptist to death earlier. And in Luke 23, 7 through 11, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him from what he had heard about him. He'd hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. So in this case, Herod knew of Jesus. In some ways, it almost seems like he was a fan of Jesus. He wanted to see him kind of come and perform and, and entertain in front of him. But he didn't believe that Jesus was this Messiah. He didn't see him as the greatest of all time. And he didn't recognize Jesus' authority. He was really just focused on himself. And he missed Jesus. As a result, then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. So here we have this soldier. He, the soldiers didn't see Jesus as being an authority. They kind of laughed at the idea of this guy being a king or a messiah. You know, there's, there's just nothing really, there's nothing to him. There's there's not all this pomp that they were uh, familiar with, with Roman leaders. So Jesus goes back to Pilate, and again, the crowds are proclaiming, or Pilate is proclaiming that Jesus is innocent, but the crowd is pushing for Jesus to be crucified. They want to see him be killed. They see him as uh, uh, a rebel, he's going against Roman authority, and he is not their Messiah. This is that anger that, uh, you know, I joked about with the idea of, you know, me being bigger than Tom Brady. That, like, oh no you don't, like, personally offended that this man, Jesus, was claiming to be the Messiah. The crowd did not accept it. They wanted the Messiah that was going to take over the country, and that would be that king, and that would force Rome out. So Pilate really had a mess on his hands. He didn't really feel like standing up and continuing to support Jesus. He definitely saw that if he continued to do so, he would really be questioning, questioned of why is he uh, supporting this rebel who's accused, who's being accused of um, not supporting Rome. 
And just the idea of the personal cost, it was just, it was too much for him. He, he wasn't going to have, some, uh, have his authority be questioned. He was, he, des- he decided to, 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 to let the crowd have what they, they wanted and uh, uh, Jesus to be crucified. And in the end, uh, Pilate missed Jesus. But with Jesus, you see such self-control. Here's a man that is in front of this crowd who he and likely ways interacted with some of them. Maybe some he had healed, some he had preached to, some he had spent time with. And here they, here they are as a nation mocking him, torturing him, rejecting him, hating him. And he kept silent. He kept silent. He didn't act out of anger. He didn't have this look of disappointment and disgust with people. He was so focused on being that servant. He was so focused that, uh, on those in the crowd and being that savior, being that lamb of God Again, Jesus was doing all of this to pay for the price of man's rejection of God and all the wrong that they had committed. But in this story, Jesus is then led away to the cross, and the mocking continued there. Now you see two criminals on both sides of Jesus, and you have this idea of the one criminal crying out like, If you're the Messiah, then save yourself and save me. But the other criminal realized that what he had done wrong and that he was not being falsely accused like Jesus was. And he spoke out to Jesus and he asked them to remember me when you're in your kingdom. The criminal believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he could grant life with him. And Jesus says that today you will be with me in paradise. So here we have the criminal that has an understanding of who he is and what he has done and his shortcomings and realizing that he is in need of a savior. We have Pilate and we have Herod that either the cost was too much to put this belief in Jesus and to follow Jesus, or you have Herod that just really uh, only saw Jesus as, as an entertainer. But as we go through the story, Jesus on the cross looks at the crowd in front of him and prays to the Father and ask the Father to forgive them in the crowd because they do not know what they are doing. What love did he have to be able to not think about what he was, only what he was going through, but to actually care for those that were around him, regardless of how they were treating him. Jesus suffered on the cross, eventually coming to the point where he was able to commit his spirit into his father's hands. This next picture shows how 
one of the Roman soldiers was able to call out that truly this was the Son of God. You know, after this, um, you know, in this point, this, the soldier didn't miss that this was the Son of God that just died on the cross, not fully understanding what all the, what Jesus sacrificed and died for our sins, but he understood that this was the Son of God. So again, going back to John 3.16, like I want us all to know that Jesus did this all out of great love for us and that all it takes is believing in him to have this eternal life with him. And again, that starts today. It's not after life. It's about being able to, to live with this idea that Jesus is in control, that he has this authority and this power over our lives and he gives us this rich full life of knowing that he is in control and that he loves us there's nothing that i have to prove i don't have to be somebody that i'm not i don't have to fake it because jesus knows everything and there's that peace that we can have and that that his love is so great for us i must admit that in my own life i never really grasped that great love of jesus I went to Bible school, got a major in the Bible, went on to counseling, get a counseling degree from there. And I, I wanted to know how to love people, but I truly didn't live within the love of God. I didn't really, I wasn't honest with myself about my need for Jesus, and I tried to fake it. But once you come to the point of realizing that there's no need to fake it here, that Jesus can accept you for all that you are. For those that killed him on the cross, there's forgiveness. For those that have shortcomings, failures, a past, there's forgiveness. That is the amazing, great news that we have in Jesus, that all it is is belief. We don't try to get our lives put in order before going to him. We go to him for our lives to be put in order. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for helping me. Thank you for giving me a message to be able to share, a truth that was on my heart, something I've experienced myself, the love of Jesus. And I want this for all of those that are here and watching God you do amazing things and you make all things new you give people fresh starts and new life and I thank you for that and I want the world to hear that you are the greatest thank you for dying on the cross that we could have a relationship with you in your name we pray